EDH News. Cultural Heritage Informatics. Digital History and Museums. With Professor Sean Graham, HIST-4916A, Carleton University. Hi everybody. Welcome back to the course. You've spent the last four weeks engaging with the readings and engaging with each other's impressions of the readings and drawing attention to critical parts. This is what a seminar is about, right? It's about fostering these connections, making these ideas and, and really diving into that literature. The things that you learned during these past four weeks, that's now going to be the foundation for what you do next. In terms of coursework, we're getting into the nuts and bolts of doing some of the coding material. But the scholarly task for you is to then try and understand what the potential is in this coding and tying it back into all of that material that you've read and talked about and, and thought about. Does that make sense? Do you see where I'm going with that? So in this last, uh, this last portion of the course, I'm trying to give you some of the digital skills in order to build some of these notebooks that would enable somebody brand new to this material to engage with GLAM data from the Ottawa sector. And part of what you end up writing will also be a justification or an explanation of why these notebooks are important, how they fit into the wider GLAM sphere. So that's why we spent so much time reading about uh, how libraries, galleries, archives, and museums are dealing with this kind of data. So this week, the first task is to just read through the basics of Boca on the programming historian and to follow along in the notebook that I've provided for you. You might need to go back to the materials from the first few weeks to remind yourself how to, uh, how to get your coding hat back on. Go through that material, work through the basics of Bokeh. It's just showing you how data that is in a table can then be manipulated through Python so that you can visualize patterns within it. The second task for this week is then to take real data from the Science and Technology Museum, feed it into the Python, feed it into the same code that you've been using, modify that code to, to work on this data. This is part of the point of scripting out your, your interactions, your, um, your, your interventions with data, because once it's on the screen like that, once it's written out all the different steps, then somebody else can modify it by bringing their own data into it. Okay, so it becomes reusable. So your challenge this week is to bring in the Science and Technology Museum materials into this code notebook and to get some kind of visualization out of it. And if you're feeling really ambitious, then to do the same with some of the other materials from the, the Ottawa area. This is the kind of work that we're going to do for these last few weeks in this class. 
In the second part of the podcast today, we hear from Christy von Moos of the Ingenium Corporation, the organ, the corporation that oversees the Science and Technology Museum, the Aviation Museum, and the Agriculture Museum. Hello, uh, my name is Christy von Moos, and I am the Digital Content Officer at Ingenium. Ingenium is the corporation that manages the Canada Science and Technology, Aviation and Space, and Agriculture and Food Museums here in Ottawa. Um, specifically, my main role here is to manage the digital asset management system, uh, which means I spend a lot of time worrying about data and copyright, talent release forms, and what the definition of good metadata is. But I also get to do lots of other fun things like dabble in data visualizations for our collections and support my colleagues in creating some really interesting content for uh, sharing on uh, our Ingenium channel, which is a blog, um, or social media, or in exhibits and educational content. And this year, I'm even learning Python. So I've got lots of interesting, uh, interesting things going on. I actually have an MA from Carleton in public history. Um, when I did my internship at the Canada Science and Technology Museum, what feels like a million years ago in uh, 2005. And for that, I researched and wrote historical fiction to accompany a large photograph collection that we have in our archives from the Canadian National Railway. And this was used in an online exhibit, which is actually still up online. Um, since then, I've worked as a project in project management and creative development. I've worked as a web content author, planner for digital interactives for museums. I've been a freelance historical researcher, a writer, um, image rights specialist, and before the position I'm in now was formalized last October, um, I was helping with uh, all kinds of projects at, at the museum, um, including the uh, large move that we are undertaking. I won't say I've come full circle, um, it was much more of a winding road than that, but I'm very happy to be back working with this awesome team again. The greatest challenge that I am facing in the terms of the digital aspect of my work um, is that we are in a period of transitioning from older systems to new ones. And this is actually an ongoing situation for most, most organizations. Um, technology changes, new solutions come up all the time. And in my case, working with images and multimedia content for three museums, the biggest challenge this causes is change management. Um, it's not always clear to people where to store and access the things that they need. And because of this, we need to be constantly training and educating and working out the best way to accomplish their goals. Um, people get used to doing things in a specific way and can find it very challenging to change. So like digital can help in this aspect, but it can also be a steep learning curve and can appear daunting. A moment where the digital changed how I do my job, my job is always being digital. So it's not that it changed it just because it's digital. Um, the work I do can change how others work and relate to digital, however, um, for our institution, people who have been there for many, many, many years, um, we have moved from working with a physical card catalog where our archival documents and um, photos were stored in, uh, in the archive space and 
for consultation um, to one that's much more digital, open. Um, and this, this changes how staff access our, our images. Um, it also changes how archival staff interact with others in our organization. We, we have to be really clear on how to use images and the rights and permissions. Um, it's no longer that you visit an archivist who will explain all these things to you. You, you have access to all this just at your fingertips. This also means that for the archives, we don't no longer know exactly how everything is being used. Um, things are in the public domain. We have a, an online portal as well as internal staff um, accessing images. And things may not always be kind of credited the right way or used exactly as we expect them to be. Um, so it's a learning curve for everybody. We've been digitizing images and materials for over 20 years. Um, but in the past, even these digital master copies were kind of kept on protected shared network drives or computer hard drives in the library. Um, but in that same vein, people would also save the things that they wanted to use and on their personal computers, um, which limited the variety of things used in promotional and educational products. But um, not only that, there's also a risk that usage conditions on uh, assets will change. So if someone has something tucked away and the rights change, it may be used inappropriately and that person might not know. So an example of that would be our ongoing efforts to decolonize the metadata accompanying photos in our collections um, relating to First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We're working to identify these collections now, work with the communities they're from to ensure appropriate language, respectful usage and ownership. And in the past, many of these images were publicly available. If somebody doesn't know about this ongoing work, they might share something that has been flagged for reclassification and possibly undermine uh, the important process. The digital asset management system reduces the need people have to hoard photos on their personal computers because um, they know that they have access um, quickly and they don't need to go through a mediator. But it also lets us make these restrictions clear um, and to change them if necessary. So it's important from that kind of standpoint that uh, we educate people to use the system rather than kind of keeping things squirreled away. Um, the system also encourages people to think about things they might have taken for granted before, like the copyright or their usage rights of a, of a photograph. Where do I see cultural heritage informatics in the future? For our organization, we're focused now on looking at our data and understanding the stories that it tells us, not just a historical narrative, um, which we've always looked at, but about past assumptions and biases in collecting and archival description and display. Um, I think this will be the truth for a lot of organizations moving forward. Um, you can see using a digital asset management, for example, you can see how many times an asset has been downloaded or how many times something has been viewed um, and connecting it with other systems like a collection management system. We can kind of see how things have been described in the past versus how many items of one type have been collected or from where and from who. So this is, this is kind of where I see the future is informing how 
the past informing how we go forward. Advice that I might give to a student. Um, there's no right way to come into this work. I've worked to museum adjacent um, for over a decade. Um, I've worked for a technology firm that built virtual exhibits for museums um, as a historical researcher and writer. The most important thing is to stay open to different possibilities. Make sure you learn some sort of coding language, I think is my one of my bigger pieces of advice. Um, Python or R right now. Um, I can't tell you how much has helped me to even have just a basic understanding of how things work under the hood. Um, just even to be able to explain what I want to a contractor um, using their own language is, is very powerful. And uh, talk to people. You never know. Uh, you never know what might be. I've, I've came into this job through um, contract work and uh, working with different people in the field who can recommend you to different places. So I think uh, just make sure you're always open. Um, to different possibilities. And I think that's it for me. Thank you for listening.